Welcome to Unbound, a show where we talk about how to break free and live authentically. I'm your host and integrative healer, Crystal Lynn, and I help women to make their lives their medicine through integrative nutrition, emotional healing, and spiritual connection. If you're ready to break free of the chains that are holding you back, heal your pain, up-level your mindset, and become the best version of yourself, body, mind, and spirit, then stick around. I'm so grateful that you're here. Hey, you guys, just a quick reminder that my brand new course, Trust Your Gut, is now open for pre-enrollment. So from now until December 15th, 2021, it will be open for special pre-enrollment pricing. And after December 15th, it'll close for two weeks until January 1st, 2022, where it will open at full price for the official launch of the program. This course is focused on your physical and emotional digestion. So if you have brain fog, gas, bloating, lack of energy, lack of focus, emotional processing patterns that aren't serving you anymore, inflammation in your body, anxiety, low mood, skin issues, any of those symptoms that can be a reflection of your gut health, then this course might be for you. So if you want more information, I'd love to hop on a connection call with you and get you plugged in for that pre-enrollment pricing. And now enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey you guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today I am so excited to be sharing with you a conversation that I recently got to have with Sarah Brunner. She is a clinical dietitian from Ontario, Canada, who lives with her husband, who is also her high school sweetheart and their dog, Vincent. Sarah originally went to be a pharmacist in university, but changed her trajectory to human nutritional sciences after taking an elective and just feeling like it was the right fit. She worked as a clinical dietitian for a few years before she was bitten and diagnosed with Lyme disease. Today, Sarah is sharing her journey with Lyme. We are talking all about treatment methods, patient advocacy, patient experience, and ways to support others who are going through a struggle that you might not connect with or understand or know too much about. So today is a little bit of a longer episode, but I hope that you'll stick with us because it really is such a wonderful conversation, especially towards the end. We talk a lot about how to relate this um, to you. If you know somebody with Lyme, you're going through Lyme, or you're just friends with somebody who's going through a struggle. You have a loved one who's going through a chronic struggle. So education and storytelling is power and knowledge and is the bridge to us creating and fostering deeper community and connections. So that being said, I hope that you'll stick with us till the end. Please remember to tag both Sarah and I. Our handles will be below as well as information on Lyme literate doctors as well as a few resources in general about Lyme disease education. So that being said, please stick around with us. Enjoy Sarah's incredible, incredible story, and we hope to hear from you soon. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for being here with me and having this conversation today. I'm so grateful that you are open to coming onto the podcast and sharing about your story and um, yeah, your journey with Lyme. So uh, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, your background and anything you feel called to share? Well, um, I guess about me more in a broad sense, I am, don't want to age myself. I'm going to tell you I'm 35 years old. I, (laughs) um, I live in a small rural town in Northern Ontario. 
Um, so I guess that's a bit of a preface to um, the wilderness around us and the um, amount of deer and wildlife, which also means ticks and whatnot too. Um, so I grew up here my whole life. Um, I was a fairly active teenager. Um, I did cheerleading through high school and then I went away to university right out of high school. I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist. And then I ended up taking a nutrition course as an elective and it just, it felt right. It felt easier. I just, everything just clicked. I could understand it. I could picture, you know, what happens with food in our body as it like goes through the whole process. Like everything just made sense to me. Um, so I switched from pre-pharmacy into human nutritional sciences. Um, I actually didn't go to my pharmacy admittance interview. That's something not a lot of people know. Um, <laughs> I told everyone I just didn't get in because I just knew that this was the right career choice for me. Something in my heart just, it was just exciting. So I made that switch. Um, I don't know if anyone here is into Enneagrams. I'm an Enneagram three. Um, <clears throat> that meant for me, I applied myself really hard to school. I was a little bit behind because I missed some of the first year courses when I was pre-pharmacy. So I took summer courses through the first two years and took extra courses in my third year so I could finish early. So I finished in three and a half years, even after switching in my first year. <clears throat> and then I did a one-year internship. I thought at the time, like public health was where I wanted to go. I wanted to influence change, create change, be part of policies that, you know, make the school nutrition programs, like all of those things. <clears throat> I wanted to have as big of an impact as I could. And then when I did my first clinical rotation, um, so clinical being um, in a hospital setting, like whether it be brain injury or renal or like the whole gamut of it, <clears throat> that's where I like really lit up and absolutely loved it. So I ended up finishing my internship and I was working as a dietitian in a long-term care home. So there you're managing a lot of renal failure, heart disease, diabetes, like those sorts of things. <clears throat> I never, ever would have thought all of that education um, and experience with identifying lab work, um, reading lab work, medications. I never thought all of that was going to affect my life in the way it did. Mm. Um, I think it was a huge asset for me navigating everything that then ended up happening. Um, but I did have a few years working before I got sick. Um, I started working as a clinical dietitian in 2010 and I was bitten in 2014. So I had about four years um, in my early twenties where things are just normal. And I did all the things. I was <laughs> so busy. Um, my husband was building a construction company. So the more he worked, I was just, okay, well, I'll use this time and I'll, I'll do more too. So by the end of like 2014, Mark, I did a 200 hour YTT, like yoga teacher training. So I was teaching yoga classes. I was going to the gym multiple times a week. Uh, we had two great names at the time. So I was walking them for at least an hour every day. Uh, I also ran half marathons and because I did mention earlier, we're in Northwestern Ontario. We have very short seasons. So I ran three in a season just because I could. Wow. Um, so busy, active, and I liked it that way. 
Um, yeah. Super active lifestyle. Yeah. And then I think, I mean, obviously part of that, all of that kind of lent to navigating the beginning of this illness earlier. Like I was a little bit stronger, so I had a little bit more to deteriorate from, um, just the knowledge I had as a dietitian in terms of the clinical stuff really helped. Um, when I was bitten, I actually, I did go up to the clinic. Um, it was on my back, kind of like tucked almost under my armpit. Um, so I didn't see it. My husband did. And he knew he, um, his family's from Switzerland. So, you know, your listeners or you know a little bit more about the European world of Lyme disease, Switzerland, Germany, like we, we all agree it's there. No one really is thinking otherwise it's pretty accepted. So his family's Swiss. So he just kind of knew he sent me up to the clinic, except they thought it was a spider bite and I didn't know any better. (laughs) Um, and this is basically why I've been so vocal about it locally, um, just because it, it really is preventable to a degree. Um, if I would have known better, I would have not accepted the idea that it was a spider bite. Um, so I was just given ointment and then it just quickly started, but it started with little things. Um, and this is one of the things like I would tell someone in the early phases of it, or maybe you don't even know yet, but like my early symptoms were a sore throat, knee pain, And I was really tired, like extremely tired. And I mentioned how busy I was, how much I ran. I like pushed my body um, all the time. So when I started getting tired, I I explained explained it away. When my knees hurt, I was in my yoga teacher training. We were sitting cross-legged on the floor all day long. So I explained it away. And when I had a sore throat all the time, same thing. I just thought I'm getting a cold. I'm getting a cold. Yep. So when you went to the clinic, did you, you did not find the tick on you. You just found the bite. Yeah. It had a bit of, it didn't have like your really traditional bull's eye rash that you see. Like if you, if you Google it, it wasn't like this yep. big, massive thing, but it was still surrounded with a red, like ring ring around it. Um, yeah. but again, I, I just, I didn't know any different. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's so important to highlight of like you, you did go and you, you caught it quick because when you do catch it quick, it, you can have that round of antibiotics and you can be just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, tell, tell us more if you're open to sharing, like, where did your story go from there and how did that start to grow all these little symptoms, right? We explain them away yep. <laughs> and yep. they really just spiral very quickly. Yeah. And I think that's, um, the way that lots of people are these days is we wear busyness like a badge of honor. Yep. And so I think for a lot of people, it, it's just easier to not pay attention to yourself and those things and ignore them. I know I was that person. So um, listening to yourself is so important, but that's a different topic. Um, so after that, essentially, it kind of snowballed to my joints. Um about three months after the bite, I woke up one morning, I couldn't lift my arm any higher than here. And then a month later, it happened to the other arm. Um, the answer for this one was first one was tendonitis. The second one, the doctor's like, well, you've probably been overcompensating for the one arm. So it's probably tendonitis in the other one. And I was like, overcompensating by grabbing a coffee cup. And like, it didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. Um, so for Did me, it, kind of were you feeling like, was your gut like, this is not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, yeah. percent. I, 
started having swollen lymph nodes. And again, it was mostly just really migratory joint pain um, for about the first year. And then it started progressing and progressing, getting worse. Um, There'd be days where you couldn't see anything, but my hands would be so swollen. Like, I know you can see me, if people are listening on audio, they won't, but like, I couldn't do this anymore. I would be stuck here with one hand. So just really restricted um, range of motion, that sort of thing. Um, I started deteriorating really fast though in the fall of 2015. Um, I was getting fevers all the time, sore throat, like just, it was just really, really rapid at that point. Um, my this husband, like a year, a year, a year oh, almost a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I'd seen a lot of specialists in that time. I'd seen like a gastroenterologist and, um, a rheumatologist, the rheumatologist actually had just given me, um, like naproxen, like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And I ended up developing a reaction to all the ones he tried, my tongue would swell. So that was a new allergy. Um, In the past was, like I said, I I pushed my body probably too hard in the past, but when I would run, especially like long distances for the actual races, I would easily take an Advil to help, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're running for two hours. It's uncomfortable. (laughs) I didn't have an issue with Advil or anything like that in the past. So that was a new allergy. So it was odd, but again, I didn't know anything about Lyme disease at this point. Um, my husband was gone for about five weeks. He took a job out of town. And when he came home, he was at that point, like he didn't not believe that I was feeling this way for that year and a half prior. Um, if you know me and he knows me really well, we've been together for 19 years. If I'm saying like, I'm uncomfortable and I can't run anymore, go to the gym anymore. Like it's true. Like those are the things I love to do. Um, but he hadn't really seen it, I guess, in a overly significant way until he was gone for those five weeks and came back. At that point, I was taking a lot of time off work because um, my wrists have always been majorly affected. So I wasn't able to type anymore. Um, I couldn't write. I bought dictation software, but it only works to a certain point. So it wasn't really that effective. Um, I fell asleep sitting at my desk at work, which I hate to admit, but I don't think anyone from my old workplace is listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So at that point, like we just, we really knew something was wrong. Um, He was incredibly concerned because of the list of symptoms that kind of kept piling at this point. Um, Some of the things on the table were like lymphoma and other like pretty big, pretty scary things. So... (laughs) Because like I mentioned, I'm in a rural small town in Ontario. We don't have very good access to specialists, even like an MRI. I don't have one. I have to drive four hours in one direction to get to a bigger city. So accessing services like that for me was really difficult, which meant it was delaying a diagnosis. Um, And he was determined that whatever was going on needed to stop. So we made an appointment at the Mayo Clinic. We drove down to Rochester and I went through a battery of tests and they had no answers. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. It helped in identifying what was and wasn't, but it right. didn't. The answer everyone kept giving me is 
it's an autoimmune disease. It just hasn't fully manifested yet. And I remember looking at the rheumatologist there and being like, what could possibly be a worse version of this for you to identify it? Like at that point, I also developed a heart murmur. I was having more and more difficulty walking. Um, so he came home from the Mayo Clinic completely like just destroyed. Like all our hope was there. Like being in Canada, when you hear the Mayo Clinic, it's like the Holy Grail, right? Like that's where people go. That's who you get answers. <laughs> right. They're going to help. So um, with that, he started Googling at this point and he came across Lyme again. Um, oddly enough, a blog from someone, I don't even know where they're from, but they were talking about how they were passing through our town and went to the sheep farm and they found a tick on them and they had Lyme disease. And that was like the beginning of their story. And we were like, that's really random. Like it was just a a Google search, you know? So at that point um, we rented under our skin on um, iTunes. We watched the documentary and um, there's one girl in there that it was like a mirror image. Like it could have been me. Um, And after that, we were like, what else could this be? Like, that's exactly what I'm living. Like, so Um, my doctor, we also learned like tests here aren't so accurate. My doctor was willing to, um, send a sample to hygienics. We had tried everything else. So many things had been ruled out. So we just, she just said like, what's the worst that can happen? Like you've been stuck with a needle for blood samples enough. Like what's one more. And then when it came back, that's when we had our answer. So, um, hygienics lab work for me was positive for Lyme disease as well as Bartonella. And then when I eventually did make it to, um, my Lyme specialist, uh, they also diagnosed Babesia based on the clinical yeah. symptoms I had. So that was that kind of time frame, I guess. So. Oh, so from time that, you know, that you were bitten to time of diagnosis, how much time had gone past? Um, about two years, I think it was two years yeah. short of a month. Yeah, this is, it's so uh, common for it to be drawn out. I mean, I was misdiagnosed for three and a half years and, you know, had gone to every functional medicine doctor and was banded with all the autoimmune diseases. And it's, it's tough because there is a lot of crossover, but it's almost like if you were to take all of the autoimmune diseases and kind of compile them into one, and it just doesn't make sense when you're, uh, you know, you're kind of blaming it on one or the other it's just this wide array of symptoms that really doesn't, it, there's no rhyme or reason. They just flare out when they want to. Um, so yeah, it's really, I, you know, it's really interesting. I think that's so important for uh, listeners to know just how common it is to be misdiagnosed and for it not to be caught and that lab, like blood work can miss it. Blood, blood work can miss it very frequently, like blood work missed mine, uh, twice. So it's really, it's really something how, how challenging it is. It's like such a, seems like it should be a simple thing. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a bite, it's a tick bite. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, you know, you, you go through this mystery journey to finally have a diagnosis after you experience your body deteriorating for years. So I know that you're, there's more to your journey here. So from here, once you had a diagnosis, finally, (laughs) how did you, (laughs) how did you proceed? How did things shift for you from there? So as soon as we watched under our skin, we learned about hygienics. 
we sent that blood work in. I don't know how long it takes for people in the States, but from my perspective, it was like a five week turnaround. Uh, so it took a really long time to get the answer. At that point, I had been admitted into the hospital four hours away. Um, I had episodes where I stopped breathing in the middle of the night. At this point, my husband was like carrying me throughout the house. Uh, he was putting me on and off the toilet, brushing my teeth. Um, like for me, it got to the point at the end of 2016, so no, 15, early 2016, when I was still undiagnosed, I did not believe I was going to live for the rest of the year. Like I was certain whatever was happening was about to kill me. Um, so again, hospital, um, the doctor decided I need to have a, uh, bone marrow biopsy and aspiration went through that. And that was obviously scary because when you're again, that's, that's like cancers and stuff. So really scary, but came back fine. Um, and we mentioned it to him and he was like, honestly, like, I don't know what else could possibly like he, he wasn't, how do I explain it? He wasn't of the mind where he was like, no, that doesn't happen here. That's, that's not a thing. Uh, but he also came back the next day and clearly he had looked into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I like, again, Canada, the United States, I'm not sure what kind of resources your government has. Our government website actually lists three stages of Lyme disease, including late stage and the symptoms right. and how they can be neurological and how they can be all these terrible things. They don't list anything yeah. for treatment. So mm-hmm. him doing his best, he's like, here's 30 days of doxycycline, like see what happens. I've never been so nauseous or sick in my life. Um, so he told me to t- stop taking them and I listened, I stopped. Um, and I Googled, I came across ILADS and I reached out to them. And this is like one of the biggest things um, I tell people on a near daily basis. When I get messages on Instagram, they don't know where to start. You need to find a doctor. <laughs> um, yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> So for me and my best suggestion is always going back to ILADS. They will, you can, at least when I did it, they'll even, like, you can say I'm located here and I'm willing to travel 50 miles and they'll give you a list of people in your area. Um, We're rural. We have to travel really far, no matter what it was, no matter what going to involve a plane ride. So I just left my open or options wide open and just anywhere in Canada, the United States. Um, Yeah. After that, I started combing through all the different doctors. I looked at all their websites. I made phone calls to the clinics. Um, I remember one place in Arizona, they basically told me how they treat. And it was a one shot blanket approach for every person. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, no, I don't like that. Like it needs to be yeah. about the person and what's happening. Um, yeah, the individualized approach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause like, yep. it's affecting us all differently, different co-infections all the things. Right. So then the next thing I crossed out was if I went to the doctor's website and the majority of what they were treating with. So say like, if it was like homeopathic or natural medicine, if they were selling it themselves, I was like, okay, here's a conflict of interest. So I was really, really, um, critical of those ones. And then in the end, um, at this point in my life, I didn't have a lot of experience with uh, naturopaths, homeopathic doctors, anything um, outside of Western medicine. I felt personally for where I was at at the time, how sick I was, I wanted like a, a, 
what, like a, a, a doctor, well, a doctor, doctor, right? Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're at this point, you're, you're, you've been in the hospital, you are having trouble walking, you're, yeah. you're not functioning, you know, to, to even do the simple things in life. Yeah. So that makes sense. you know, it, as close, the closer to you, you get to an emergency situation, I think mm-hmm. the more warranted that, that medical treatment is right. Like, yeah. and it's however you want to treat whatever you've got going on. Yes. That's, the, that's the right thing for you. Yes. There's, there doesn't need to be a rhyme or reason, but especially when you get into those stages where I'm not even functioning, you need something that works quickly and effectively and gets you out of danger zone. Like there's yeah. no question about it. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> you know, I've, always, I've got to a point where I got really reserved with Instagram because I would talk about it. I was open about it. Right. And then you get messages from people being like, oh, you shouldn't take these. They're going to destroy. Like, You don't need to make me feel worse about what I'm doing and place all of these thoughts in my head that what I'm doing isn't working. So that's also something I would suggest for someone on their journey. Like when you make your choice, make it for you, make the choice you feel comfortable with, trust your gut. And then you got to stick with it for a bit. Like you can't try for a month and then be like, ah, it didn't work. I'm going to try someone else. Gotta be patient. Um, but again, going back to choosing the doctor, that's why I chose an infectious disease specialist. I chose him for his years of experience in this Lyme disease world. And I made an appointment and I got in really quick. Um, I think I called in February and I had an appointment in March. Nice. So I didn't even have my blood work back yet. I didn't care. I was setting it because I figured worst case scenario, I'll just cancel this appointment. Yeah. So 10 days before the appointment came, the blood work came back. My family doctor called me. I, I wish I could find a picture of it. I was actually sitting in our sauna. We have an infrared sauna. So sitting in there when she called. So (laughs) I jumped out. So it wasn't so hot and sweaty and I I didn't have papers. So everything she was reading from all the hygienics stuff, I had my entire thigh covered in handwriting. <laughs> I transcribed my diagnosis on my leg. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I went to my first appointment. Um, in the end, like the doctor, <laughs> he's, he's honestly the one of the kindest guys. He assessments done. He sits down in front of me and he goes, you're really sick. And I was like, well, well yeah, I know. <laughs> so I'm here. Wow. It, and he's that- like, eerily eerily similar to when I finally got diagnosed too. It's like, Whoa, here's the, here's the reality. Yeah. And the validation too. Like, I mean, Oh my gosh. My family doctor's always been great. She was my doctor for years before I got sick. So she knew what I was like. She knew there's no way in the world I would choose to not be doing what I was doing before. Um, so she's never doubted me. And that's, a huge blessing. I've been so, so lucky to have her this whole time. Like she's, she's, I, I can't say enough good things about her, but that's because we had that relationship too. Um, but going back to that appointment, he looked at me and said like, you're really sick. And again, like, I was just like, yeah, I know. And he's like, no, like most people, when they get to me, they're not, it's not this bad. Like this is kind of bad. And I was like, oh, and then it was like this sinking feeling of crap. <laughs> like now what? Um, so he, he laid it out pretty, pretty straightforward right off the hop. Um, so the doctor I mentioned, he's not a naturopath. So 
we were dealing in antibiotics. Um, he told me right from the get-go, the way that you're presenting right now, we'd likely lean towards IV antibiotics. They're going to, they're just going to be more effective for what you're dealing with at the moment. I was okay with it. I just wanted, I wanted to start. I wanted to get better. Right. So, so it was like this whole spiral of things after that. I had to wait three months to stabilize. I was in so, so, so much pain at that point. Um, the bright side was it was neurological pain, but no one locally had identified it as that, but they did. So then they put me on some medications that I'm still on. I've tried to come off them. I still have raw nerves. It's, I just, I haven't been able to come off them, but it helped with the pain and not living in extreme, extreme pain every day was a blessing in itself. So like long story short, 2016 summer, I had a central line placed in my chest. Um, I had it done in the States and I had my first round of antibiotics the next day. Um, we had to travel back and forth there every month for the first few months. And then every six to eight weeks after that. Uh, and then summarizing what happened after that is I was so bloody sick. <laughs> uh, I couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, the antibiotics were really, really harsh and they got harder as we had to progress. They don't just start bombing you with treatment. They work you up to it. And I tolerated it for as long as I could. And then I kind of threw in the towel. I couldn't handle throwing up all the time anymore. I could, I just, I needed a break. Yeah. That's one thing I didn't know I could tell my doctor. <laughs> And so that's something I've shared with a lot of people lately when they're like, oh, it's just so hard. I'm like, yeah, it is like, don't be like a hero. Don't, don't think that you have to do this. It's not all or nothing. Communicate that with your doctor. Yes. So I quit when instead I could have said, Hey, like, I can't do this right now. Like we need to back off for a bit. They would have backed off, but they would have given me a plan. Like we would have made it work. But at the time I was just like, nope, done. I, I'm, I'm over it. I can't do it anymore. So that was about a year and a half of IV antibiotics. Okay. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so now you're a year and a half into active treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. After so that, um, I moved to a functional medicine clinic. Okay. Tried my hand at that. Um, like I mentioned earlier, my husband's family's from Switzerland. So we chose a clinic in Switzerland. It came up in a few random conversations. So one thing I've kind of leaned into when making hard choices is signs. So I just yeah. had a few signs that this place just kept popping up. So we listened, um, tried to make the best of it. Overall, I didn't have uh, the experience I was hoping. I don't want to say a lot of negative things about the clinic. Um, they were going through a lot of internal politics as well. And I do believe it really affected patient care. Um, my doctor was on her way out of the clinic while I was there and she overlooked a few really major things. Um, and then the other part of it that's really difficult is uh, follow-up in between revisiting like it was it was a lot to get to Switzerland to go back to these clinics it's ex it was exhausting I mean 
international travel in itself is exhausting doing it when you're sick and not feeling good as a whole thing. Oh my gosh. And the, the stress of that on line, like travel and being out of routine and the exhaustion Mm -hmm. that causes a major flare up. I mean, for me, I know that stress and travel, especially flying for me, does it. (laughs) Um, so I, I can't imagine making that, you know, making that trip so often. Yeah. Yeah. So you, now you've tried, you've tried cluster yes. medicine, you've tried functional yes. medicine, you're like all over the place trying to yeah. just find the treatment that works for you. Yeah. I, I call that like trying to find in my experience, like your Cinderella. Treatment, yeah. Right? I love that. Yeah. Two fits, you know, yes. two fits me, uh, because everybody's so different, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you because, you know, I have a, I do have a naturopath that I'm working with and it was kind of just, uh, I stumbled into it because she was the only one to find it mm-hmm. <laughs> in the past three and a half years. So, you know, when she called me and said, you know, you have like Lyme disease and it's bad and you have like 10 co-infections and Epstein-Barr that's active in the body and all these things. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, well she found it. So I'm going to give her a shot at treating it, you know? And so I'm, I'm very new to my journey. I'm only a few months into treating my Lyme, but I, I love to just highlight sharing like, Hey, everybody is so, so different. And like you went back and, and a few, few minutes ago and highlighted the bio-individuality of this is what I'm looking for in a doctor. And I need you to look at me as, as a whole human being, all the things that are going on in my body. I'm not a, you know, one protocol fits all patient. And I'm going to advocate for myself in that way. I think that's just so wise. And so for anybody, whether you're, you know, navigating chronic Lyme or any other illness, honestly, okay. that you need serious treatment for, um, find somebody who's going to look at you for you and not just look at you like another, you know, number in their, in their already preset protocol, you need individualized medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with that too, like your, I love your, your analogy, the Cinderella shoe, if your glass Mm -hmm. slipper breaks or the heel falls off, like it's time to reevaluate it. And I mean, that's what I did. I have three times now, right. Um, you know, the, functional medicine, long distance clinic thing was not working for me. I needed to pivot. Um, I've had so many regressions, um, in general, uh, since I left my first doctor and then I ended up finding a naturopath closer and I loved him. Really great guy. When we got out of his clinic and back into the car again, I said, I take signs really seriously. So, um, Avril Lavigne's song came on the radio, the one she wrote about her Lyme journey. And I was like, okay, like we're in the right place right now. Mm-hmm. That doctor has done a lot for me in the last year and a half, however long I, but almost two years that I've been with them. But then I started getting worse. I wasn't getting enough regular as intense as it needed to be treatment. Um, again, a downside of not being in a city, um, you know, a lot of naturopaths really like, um, ozone or things like it. And I just, I can't travel to the city a few, few days a week for something like that. So we were just starting to find gaps in treatment and then COVID happened. Um, 
I made one last hurrah with him essentially at the beginning of 2021. 20, yeah, that's right. Like time frames are so worn out. The other day I wrote 2022 <laughs> and I was like, is that actually just a couple months away? What the heck? It's coming. Oh, I don't think I was here for this year. Um, so yeah, I started with him in like March of 2021, just like a one week go into the clinic every day. So I got a hotel and we did like yeah. ozone and like all the things. It's immersion week, right? Yep. And then as expected, a really big hurts. Mm-hmm. I went home and then everything just started getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, the symptoms that had kind of tapered down and hadn't appeared for a long time were starting to roll back in. At this point, like this year I had, I think I had like four biopsies. Um, cause I get like really big lumps in my wrist. Now they're like, they've migrated up into my head. I had also seen, and they, this is like making the story so confusing, but <laughs> back in 2020, my doctor was like, you know, like you haven't seen a rheumatologist in a long time. Nothing's really getting better. Like, are you willing to go see one again? So I said, yes, she was actually really great. The amount of nerves I had though, going to a new doctor, mm-hmm. trying to explain all the, like you and I've been talking for 40 minutes, right? You don't get right. 40 minutes to tell a doctor your whole story. Um, oh. and it, especially because the way I treated Lyme the first time was controversial, mm-hmm. natural medicine, ozone, coffee enemas, all those things are like <laughs> red flags to most Western doctors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm expecting to be judged right away, essentially. Um, She was actually very compassionate, uh, empathetic. And she, she said to me, I can understand why you've done what you've done because no one has helped you so far. And that made me feel at ease with her. In the end, she had like, and my symptoms were so common at this point, like, and they were visual, like the big lumps that I get and whatnot. Um, So she'd done a few different diagnostics. Um, She'd seen the lumps when they were on my head. And at that point, like, it just looks like a big goose egg. At that point, she thought something more parasitic. So she sends me to an infectious disease specialist, again, in the city, not far from where I live. And we go down this weird rabbit hole because he works at a tropical medicine clinic. So the infections he deals with are like not local, (laughs) essentially. (laughs) And so he's like, well, it could be like X, Y, or Z. There's no labs around here that test for it, but I've pulled strings before. We'll get it done. It's going to go to Thailand. So my blood was sent to Thailand. The pandemic happened. So the result took longer. It got rerouted. It went to Japan. It went somewhere else. Like he kept checking in on it. Um, And it came back positive for this incredibly rare parasite. Um, Mm he treated with a few different um, medications. They absolutely 100% had impact on those lumps I was getting, but in the end, he only offered a a short course of those medications. So the lumps in the end just came back. And so I'm at this point in spring, getting a biopsy on one of those lumps in my wrist. And we have a new surgeon in town and he starts asking Lyme questions. He's like, well, why are we doing this? And I was like, well, and you, you clam up, you don't want to say something, you kind of like tiptoe around it so that you don't get judged by this new doctor. 
who's asking really direct questions. So, um, I told him like, when he asked if I had treated with antibiotics, I said, yes. And he said, well, did you just do 30 days? And I was like, no, uh, actually. So I told him I did a year and a half intravenously. And he immediately was like, is that a doctor in New York? And I was like, no. So at this point, my wheels are turning. I'm like, he knows stuff. Right. Like no random doctor is just going to know who like, and I'm quite certain he was probably referring to Dr. Horowitz. But anyway, so I was like, no, uh, in Washington, DC actually. And he was like, instantly he knew the name of the clinic and the doctor I went to his daughter or his friend's daughter had been really sick on her deathbed diagnosed with MS like terminally. And she went to this doctor and he saved her life. So as one surgeon's cutting a chunk out of my wrist and I'm bleeding and not watching, but I can feel it running off my hand. He's like, why are we even doing this? go see him again. And wow. I didn't, again, signs, right. I was, I didn't want him to be right because at this point in my life, I felt like if I had to go back on antibiotics, I failed. I don't know what put that in my head, but at some point in my journey with natural medicine, antibiotics meant failure. Um, mm. It was a lot emotionally to get over that. <laughs> the whole visit with this doctor, he was so bloody kind and compassionate and he cared and he was like mad that I wasn't going right now and getting help he's like you go home and you call like don't delay this so I bawled my eyes out in the (laughs) in the operating room he walked me out of the hospital um talked to me about like my mental health like he was like this little guardian angel that was sent down honestly right place right time unexpected I went home got into bed kept crying (laughs) filled out a new patient appointment request with my now current again doctor. And that was it. Forgot about it for the night. I text my husband the next morning. I was like, what if they call? What am I doing? <laughs> am I doing this? Like, what, should I make an appointment? And then I can cancel it. If like, I, it, it was beyond what I ever considered doing again. And I really can't even explain why I think obviously the pandemic was part of it. We weren't traveling. So it just kind of limited my thoughts. Um, but sure enough, they called the next morning. I booked the appointment and then I cried again. (laughs) Um, in the end, we jumped through a bunch of hoops to travel into the United States during the lockdown where we weren't allowed to be there. Um, but you can go for essential medical reasons. So, um, we went down in May, did a new initial assessment because it'd been like four years. Um, they sent me home with a plan and I've been with them ever since I've been back once talked to them over the phone once and are just adjusting my pulsed antibiotic treatment as my symptoms come and go. And, you know, again, specific to me, not just some blanket that they throw at everyone. Um, and that's where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. Wow. How are you feeling now? Like with, you know, I know symptoms come and go and it's such an ebb and a flow, but how are you feeling? Um, overall, have you seen, you know, improvement in your symptoms and quality of life and all of those things? I feel like the regression I had earlier this year, I feel like I've gained that ground back, um, restarting treatment. I had 101 expectations in my head about how I was going to feel 
because I already done this with them. Um, the difference this time is I still do have a pick line, but we're not using it for antibiotics. Um, I intend to pull this line out, not myself, but I intend to get this out before January. Um, January will be two years with it. So coming to an end with that, I just want it out. Um, but I've been doing just oral antibiotics with them and they started me really, really slow. And I think it was because I quit the first time. I don't think they wanted to overwhelm me, but I also promised them that I now understand I don't have to be a perfect patient. I can mm -hmm. ask for a break. Um, yep. And I think that that's a huge piece as a patient, no matter what you're dealing with, but like being really honest with your doctor and your care team, if something's too much, you don't have to tough it out. Like you yeah. need to tell them that so that changes can be made because you're not supposed to suffer through it either. Yeah. And that's what they're there for. And I, I've experienced that on the functional medicine side of things, both before this, this treatment and now with the current treatment, you know, like you mentioned before with the Herc saying, um, you know, if you do choose a natural medicine route, it's like those, all those symptoms get far worse before they get better. Yep. And, um, you know, for me, it was like communicating when it was too much. And I don't know if this was something that you experienced, um, a lot with, with your line, but, um, for me, um, the neurological and mental health symptoms were really, they would really flare when it got bad. So as we did treatment, it was like, oh my gosh, there would be some days I'd be like, I feel totally like myself. And then I also have some parasites and co-infections and things like that. And on those days, I feel like my brain was totally hijacked. It's like, where, where is my brain? Okay. <laughs> and why don't I feel like myself and why can't I function? And, um, communicating that was so helpful because you think to yourself, you hear, you know, when, when you're working with a doctor who is well experienced, they see these things often, just because you're working with, whether you're working with a really experienced functional doctor, infectious disease doctor, medical doctor, whoever you're working with, just because they see these things every day and they're quote unquote normal for what you're going through doesn't mean that you have to suffer through them without communicating. And especially in regards to like, if you're feeling overwhelmed by your symptoms and it's impacting your mental health, that's something that you need to communicate yeah. with them too, because if they, if they don't have the time or resource to support you in that, they can help you find somebody who can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a huge one. Um, I, through the first gosh, like from up until about 2017, especially in 2016, because it was so bad. And I, like, like I said, didn't even think I was going to live to see the end of the year. I was hundred percent in survival mode. I had no emotions attached to any of this. Um, we had a lot of traumatic incidents happen. Um, one of them being with my central line. Somehow I unhooked the whole tip of the line, which make it, if you've ever had a line, you probably know what I'm saying, but essentially I should have had blood gushing out of my chest. But when I unhooked it, I didn't. And then I passed out or okay. I don't know, but I lost consciousness. My husband was actually home. Um, I always ran the antibiotics early in the morning. So he was home and this is only like a month into doing it. So I yelled for him. He didn't come running. I yelled with everything I had. I felt my face starting to tingle. Everything started getting dark. And I was like, this is it. I'm going down. Like, so yeah. I, he heard something, thank goodness came rushing out. And I'm there on the couch, the cap on my central lines, not on, I took it off. I don't, 
I just untwisted it when I meant to untwist the saline syringe is what happened. Um, and he could not wake me up. There was no blood coming out. Um, so either my blood pressure was really, really low. Um, my heart wasn't beating very strong. Something was stopping it from coming out. He could not get me to wake up. He called 911. He had a moment thinking, okay, she's gone. (laughs) And then he is so great during emergencies. He, I mean, with me at first, he rightfully, I would have panicked too. Um, he had a moment of panic. He actually walked away and went to the bathroom and like freaked out. And then he said, no, like, I can't do this. Yeah. And at that point, because I, some of the antibiotics I, they were using were new, I'd never been on them. So they always had patients keep an EpiPen in the house. Mm. And so he could tell, he could see that the line was open. It should have been bleeding. It wasn't. So he used my EpiPen. <laughs> Within okay. seconds, my heart started pumping and the blood came out. And at that point, like I still could, I gained consciousness, but not, not enough. I, when the ambulance came again, small town, I knew the police officers showed up. So in my head, every time I'd open my eyes, I could get them open for a second when they'd ask me to. And I was like, okay, Travis is in my living room. That's the cop. I know where I am. I know who's here They're Then like paramedics are reading out like my vital signs, my blood sugar in my head. I'm like, okay, like your blood sugar is normal. <laughs> I, I can rationalize everything in my head, but I can't move my body. I can't Mm. feel my feet. I can't feel my arms. So I'm thinking, okay, like my head's okay, but why can't I move? Mm. Uh, It took a a while. um, Even when I was finally in the emergency room, the doctors are asking questions. I'm completely aware of it, but I am trying so hard to answer them. Cause they're like, well, did you take anything new? Did, 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 did. And Steven's like, I, I don't know what to say right now. I remember like trying to stick my hand up being like, Hey, Hey, let me talk. And the doctor no, looked at me and then I couldn't get it out. Hmm. So those are some of the kinds of things that we um, were dealing with that were really scary back in those days. Um, and at this point I forgot why that was even relevant. I can't remember what we were talking about. Hmm. Mental health. There we go. And not, yes. <laughs> So needless to say, back in the day of 2016, when all this stuff was at its worst, I just wasn't emotional about it. I was detached from it. I was in survival mode every single day. Mm -hmm. I just, it didn't, I didn't feel anger. I didn't feel all the things that you would normally feel. Uh, So it wasn't until sometime into 2017, as we progressed through treatment, and I mean, the clinic hundred percent saved my life back in 2016. Um, <clears throat> but as I progressed in treatment, that's when I started to like, this is tough. Like I thought for months, maybe I should go see someone and I put it off. Um, not because I personally found any stigma around it. I just, I don't know. I think one thing with chronic illness is you have a lot of appointments and things to manage and I didn't want to add something else. Yep. <laughs> but, um, that. <laughs> right. For anyone oh, that's like, oh, new I, to this, I, yeah. I would say like, don't wait until you think you need to go talk to someone, like just start now. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's really important. And the longer you're sick with something, it weighs on you and your life changes and it's hard to manage. Um, you know, a good therapist isn't just going to talk with you and make you feel validated and better. They're going to give you like coping skills, you know, like 
cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, like those have been really helpful for me. Um, my therapist has been really great and you get to kind of unload on someone without feeling guilty. Cause if you are always unloading on your spouse or your friends, you feel like all you do is complain. So you get the chance to voice how you're feeling. And then they're not just going to listen. They're going to give you tools and strategies or ways to reframe that thought. And it is work. Working on your mental health and mindset is a job in and of itself. Um, It really started clicking for me when, again, my therapist recognized that Enneagram 3 type A personality in me and smart of her was like I think you need homework and I was like well yeah give me the homework I want to work I want to work I want to be a student (laughs) so she uh gave me this workbook about chronic illness and depression and going through those questions I started realizing things and then I could bring them back to the appointments and talk to her so definitely something that the longer it goes on definitely seek some sort of mental health support. Yes. yes. And it's so, it's just as important as investing <clears throat> in your appointments for your medical treatment. And if you're doing a natural doctor, your supplements and all of your things and your medications, it's just as important. And you're absolutely right. That's the last thing that we think about investing in our time, our energy or our money in, because we're just in that mode where we're like, I need to keep the ship above the water and make sure my body is functioning, make sure I am a functioning human being. Um, And, you know, all of that being said, obviously when you were in the thick of it in 2016, it was, it was probably very clear to your loved ones and your friends, the extent of your illness, because it was manifested fully in your body, really impacting you day to day. You're traveling, making all these appointments. And now, you know, you're in this daily treatment. And I think for a lot of individuals who navigate chronic illness, there is a day-to-day, uh, you know, thing that you, that you go through yeah. that many people can't see, you know, like if you looked at our Instagram pages, you probably wouldn't get a yeah. feel for what we're doing to take care of ourselves every day. And that can be really tough because now all of a sudden it turns into this invisible illness. Yeah. And, uh, while I, you know, there's so much gratitude for being able to function and having an abundant life, there is also this part of life that nobody really sees because you're doing it on the daily. It's, it's our normal, it's what we're doing. And, um, you know, I, I would love to get your, uh, feedback on like, what do you think, um, are some common misconceptions and what would be the best way to support somebody going through chronic illness? Like what are ways that you I'm pulling up your friends, pulling out my notes. Cause that's, that's the stuff that, um, it's harder for me to like come out with right away. Misconceptions. I found that one a hard question. Um, mm-hmm. when you ask just because, I'm not sure why, why I find that one a hard one to answer, but I think one of the things is there is no one solution. We talked about that already. What's working for me might not work for you, vice versa. We're different people, different bodies, different infections, all the stuff's different. Um, so I do get a lot of people actually that message me like, well, did this work? Did this work? Like, should I do antibiotics? I'm like, well, one, I, I can't tell you what to do with your body. You need to make your best educated decision on that. But 
just because something worked for me, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And at this point I've done both sides of the coin in terms of treatment and like, there's a time and a place for both. And I still think that there is value in everything I did with natural medicine. I think it's bled into this time being on antibiotics. I think I have extra tools in my toolbox because of it. Um, but there is no one solution that's, you know, it's not 30 days of doxycycline and you're good to go. It's just, that's it. That, and that is a misconception. Um, just because I think that's if you catch it right away. If you catch yes. it right away, you're yeah. good to go. Not if it goes on. <laughs> yeah. Um, other misconceptions. What else did I, this is an, another thing I, I find someone who hasn't gone through a struggle mm. doesn't have, and I, I don't mean this in any bad way, but they don't quite have the ability to empathize mm-hmm. with what you're going through. Um, so they probably won't understand the severity of how symptoms can impact a person because the worst they've had is a really bad flu. Right. So yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a misconception, but I think it's a misunderstanding. Um, you know, this summer, a friend of mine who I've been friends with for well over 10 years, I know she probably won't listen to this. If she does, then she'll know how she hurt me when she said this. Um, but I was having a really bad few days. It was when I first started antibiotics again. So I had been in bed for, I think the third day in a row, fevered, in pain, hard to move, exhausted. And she asked if I wanted to go fishing with them at their camp. And I was like, honestly, like I can hardly make it out of bed. Like, thank you for asking, but like, it's just, I I can't do it right now. And then she said, well, if it gets too hard, you can lay in the back of the forerunner. I'm like, I'm not a dog that you can just put in the back of your car when I'm like, I, it's hard enough to function in my house, in my bed right now. I don't want to lay in the back of your car. Like I was really offended that she even made the suggestion. Um, and that's just, it doesn't come from a place of her not caring. She's just never watched someone very close to her potentially go through something really difficult or gone through it herself. Um, and on the opposite side of the coin, I think of my yoga teacher training. One of the women there had a back injury. She broke her back mm-hmm. and she was in really like significant amounts of pain all the time. She had really high levels of chronic pain. And I felt empathy for her when she shared about it. I couldn't really picture what that meant living day to day until it happened to me. Mm-hmm. And then once I was in pain like that, I was like, this is what she goes through every day. Like, holy crap. Yep. You just can't conceptualize it if you've not experienced it or, you know, like my husband's going to be really good at empathizing with someone because he's suffered alongside of me, right? Like he's watched it firsthand. So very close to the situation. It's so true. It, it's, it's a whole different type of struggle and a different type of battle. And, you know, I, I feel like the, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like when somebody just asks how you're doing and it's just there to like love on you and listen that is like the best because there is no there's no fixing it there you don't need to try to fix it for somebody who's going through the thick of it who's going through a treatment just be there for them and just check on them and know that that you're you're thinking of them you know that they're not alone in it um because 
it is, it's just a different, it's just a different type of struggle and everybody has one. So we yeah. can empathize with each other in, in struggle, but it definitely is different when, uh, you know, your, your day-to-day, your physical yes. health is impacted. Yes. Um, yeah. so yeah, yeah. And that's something I've said to like lots of friends or, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I shouldn't complain about this. You're going through something so much worse. And I was like, suffering is relative. Yeah. Like my worst experience is still my worst experience. Your worst experience is still yours. Like physiologically and emotionally, they're still your worst. So I'm never going to say, Oh, like, why would you complain about that? Like I have to go through something harder. So I think pain and suffering is relative, but actually just really getting into someone's head and understanding how a day-to-day life with a chronic illness could be really hard. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's a little bit different. So I think when you get people like a friend who just doesn't quite understand and says certain things, um, you just have to remind yourself that they're not doing They're. I mean, I hope they're not doing it. They're, they're not saying those things to be hurtful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, checking in on someone, making them feel seen, um, when they tell you that, you know, they're having a bad day, don't just say, okay, we'll feel better soon. (laughs) Not cold. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, so I think, like you said, feeling seen and just supported small acts of kindness, Mm. honestly, for me have meant the most, um, when you open your mailbox and there's a random card in there from someone. Just saying like, I know you've been struggling, like, and I'm talking about people, these are people maybe you don't even know very well, but like those little things, knowing you're on someone's mind and they want better for your life, Mm. just reaching out and telling someone that like, I've been thinking about you. I hope you're okay. Yep. It doesn't have to be bigger than that. Validation. It's the validation piece. And like, like you had said, when you finally got your diagnosis, like that for me, that the validation was more because my, my experience didn't change once I, once I had a label on it, like I was already going through all those things for a few years. And, but, but my doctor saying like, I'm so sorry, nobody's caught this up until now. And you're, you must feel awful. Like you're, you're really sick. And that validation was what made me break down more than the diagnosis of Lyme. It was like, wow, somebody sees me. I'm not crazy. These symptoms are not in my head and I'm not making them worse with my mindset. Like this is yeah, really going on because, uh, for when you go through such a long time being misdiagnosed, like, Oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) but the, the other thing I think that is really, uh, interesting and important to highlight, which I I've loved relating to you in this sense where, you know, when you and I reach out to each other, we can say like, Hey, how are you feeling in this moment? It can even be a three hour difference. And we're like, Hey, are you still, are you still down to chat? And that piece can be, that's what I find in my personal experience. And I don't want to speak for anybody else, but in my personal experience, that is the thing that's most commonly misunderstood is how you can flip on a dime. And it's not that we're using our illness as a crutch. It's not that we're faking yeah. symptoms. It's literally that this morning I could feel 110%. And by three o'clock in the afternoon, I could be like, oh my gosh, if I don't take a nap, I, I don't, 
I can't function. And then you take your nap and sometimes you need the rest of the night to nap. And sometimes you're like, wow, I'm fine. I'm back. And that can look like, you know, avoidance or flakiness to somebody else. And as people who are close to you, like if you are in support of somebody with chronic illness or you have an employee with a chronic illness, or you have a close friend or relative, like know that these are things that are really happening and can change on a dime. We're not faking it. We're not flaky. We want to be there more than anything, but it we just can't sometimes. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. For me, that's the thing that I notice the most. And I have to be really mindful about my communication and make sure that I'm, I'm prioritizing my rest in a way where I know that the things that I have to do, I can conserve my energy more. And sometimes I don't have any more juice in me than that. And that's it. <laughs> yep. And that's, it, you, you nailed it. Like that's exactly what it is like. Um, one of my closest friends, she hasn't personally gone through an illness, but her understanding um, of me and what I've gone through, she's never downplayed it. Mm-hmm. She's went above and beyond to understand it. Like when I got the diagnosis, she probably read for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. She informed herself. And if you want to support someone to learn about their illness, yes, that goes a long way. Um, and she didn't tell me for brownie points. Oh, I researched it. And da, 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 da. it comes out in the conversation. Like you explain how you're feeling and they already know, Oh, that's because it's, it's called a Herxheimer reaction. Like you're feeling like that because you took those medications. Like, and when she would visit me, like we planned for my, her lunch hour and she would text me around 1130. Are you still up for it? Can I bring anything? You know, like it's just those little check-ins and understanding, like you said, that suddenly it might not be okay. Yes. And then not trying to, not trying to make someone feel bad about it or like, be like, Oh, but are you sure? Oh, but like, what if like, don't, Oh, but anyone, like <laughs> if they say they can't like, you know, they can't. And it's not a, it's not, like you said, you're not using it as a crutch. You're not using it as an excuse. Yeah. I think it's so freeing too. When somebody does bring that like, Hey, it's okay. If, you know, you're feeling X, Y, Z, because I think for a lot of us, when we're, when we're used to powering through things, it's like to power through with somebody else, they're present when, especially in like a social setting or you're going out with a friend or whatever you're doing and feeling like this wrestling of, I don't want to complain and I don't want to burden you, but I also want you to know this is why I'm not fully present right now, or this is what I'm going through right now as we speak can be like, that can be just so, I mean, I remember, um, it was sort of the same principle when I was in high school, I had panic disorder Mm -hmm. and somebody just knowing what I was experiencing was enough for me to be okay and safe in the space. And I feel the same way with this. As, as long as somebody knows if I'm having an off day or having a bad day, for me not to have to pretend like I'm totally fine is like the best gift because yes. it gives me permission to just be where I'm at and that to be okay. And I don't have to explain myself and I don't have to complain about it. I just am and I offer what I have to give. And there is no, oh my gosh, they're going to think that I'm not present. They're going to think that I'm annoyed or whatever it is. Just yeah. them knowing this is where I'm at um, has been so freeing. 
Yeah. And I mean, again, like when talking about how to support a friend, like actually you reminded me of a time when I, I had met this girl a few summers back because she dated um, one of the guys that used to work for my husband. She went away to school in the fall and came back at Christmas. And she was like, Oh, do you want to get together? Like we live a couple blocks away. So I put it off all week. So I'm like, I am fevered. I'm in bed. At that point we had tried heavy metal chelation and I went totally oh. AWOL with it. It went really bad. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was in bed, ankles swollen. Like it was just a mess. And so I kind of kept putting it off and finally, because she was leaving to go back to school, I was like, okay, yeah. Like, but like, don't expect a lot from me essentially. Yeah. Um, she came over. It didn't matter to her that I was in my pajamas. It didn't matter. None of that mattered to her. She brought, um, it was the first time I'd ever used them. Those little like fold out sheet face masks. Yeah. And like, I, not something I'd ever think of doing, but she brought it over and I was like, oh gosh, this is silly. But in the end, it was actually really nice because of the fever. It was nice and cool. And I felt so much better afterwards. So she did me a, a favor in terms of managing the symptom that I didn't know of. It was yeah. just a random product mm-hmm. of doing it, but, um, her just being willing to sit there and put face masks on and gosh, yes, that's so, so sweet. And, uh, it reminds me this past summer, actually, um, I was on a retreat and I had one of my worst Lyme flare-ups right before I was diagnosed. And, uh, we went on a very long hike and it was just, I was overtired. I was overextended. I was already in a flare and I went down on this hike. I didn't think I was going to be able to like get down the mountain. It was just really it hit me out of nowhere. And, um, I was in bed that afternoon and one of, uh, my, my dear friends, and she's also just such a brilliant healer and just a wonderful human being. She came in and she just offered to like lay next to me in the bed because I was missing out on what was going on, um, in the other house. And just that, like her just laying there and talking to me and just having conversation was just so sweet. Like that will always stand out to me as one of like the most genuine, just authentic expressions of like love and compassion. And I'm, I'm just right here for you. It's okay. We don't have to fix anything or even talk about it. Like, let's just talk. And that was so valuable. So just being there for somebody loving on them right where they're at. And, uh, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Just to be, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Just to sit and chat and presence is one of the best gifts to offer somebody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the little things. And again, like from, from my perspective, the hard part is being vulnerable. I don't like people seeing me like that. Um, so it's also hard to accept a visit when you're feeling that way. Um, and I had a similar experience as you did. It was back when I like, couldn't walk anymore. I was in bed. I remember Steven was home with me. He had to be home a lot with me because he was my caregiver. Um, and one of my friends, she's a fairly new friend. I'd only known her for a couple of years stopped by. I think she actually even communicated with Steven that she was coming and he probably knew I was going to say no because I was in bed fevered. My hair was a mess. And he was like, honestly, it's probably good for her. Just, just come by. Cause she's really sweet. And I, I think he just knew enough to know I wouldn't mind. So she came in and I was kind of like, oh crap, like I got to, I got to get up. And she was just came into my bedroom, sat on my bed and sat for an hour and a half. And I don't know what we talked about, but it was so nice. And I remember thinking afterwards, like how odd it is that 
in the end, something that's weird, someone coming into your bedroom and just hanging out with you on your bed. It wasn't that weird. No. And I appreciated it so much. She brought me some soup. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's being seen and also like allowing the person who's dealing with the illness space to open up about it in a way that they feel comfortable because there are so many pieces of this life that you feel really vulnerable. Um, so asking how someone's doing fine, like that's, there's, that's great. If I give you a really vague answer and I don't elaborate, it's probably not a time where I want you to keep asking me more questions. Once I get comfortable and we start chatting, if it's going to come out, it's going to come out. If not, I'm having a day where I want to kind of pretend that that's not what I'm dealing with, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, Oh, such a good point. I think that it can be so hard. I, I, I feel like I have been in the space before I've gone through this, where I didn't know what to say to people who were going through a struggle. And it's really like, it's awkward because if you don't know how to relate, like it's really uncomfortable. And so you, you won't either reach out to the person or you'll reach out in a very generic sense, right? You just don't know what to say. And I think for anybody who's listening, who does feel awkward about approaching a conversation or reaching out to somebody, you know, who's going through a struggle, like it is enough just to, to be there and just showing up and offering your space and your presence and thinking about, I love what you just said about like explaining things, because when a little kid is upset, we don't ask them to explain away their feelings. We just give them a hug. We're just there. Hey, we're here. It's It's okay. What do you need right now? It's like, awesome. Cool. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a soup. (laughs) And, and that is really like, that is what we need in that moment. You know, we sometimes don't want to dissect. Sometimes we do and we dissect and we unload and that's awesome. And sometimes we just want you to sit there with us and drink soup. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly it. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. So, so awesome. Sarah, I am so appreciative of you coming and just sharing your story and, uh, you know, that awareness that you were talking about your, your friend doing the research and just hearing more about it. That is my intention in sharing as many stories as possible through this podcast. It's just, Hey, can we just get more awareness out there of your experience? Because your experience doesn't look like my experience won't look like somebody else's experience. And, and that's when Lyme is the diagnosis. Not even when there's other, you know, plenty of so many other illnesses going around, right? And mm-hmm. people suffering through autoimmunity and chronic illness. This is only one of them. And the story can look so different. So that being said, I just want to just share with my gratitude and uh thank you for for being open to this. And uh if there's anything else you'd like to share, feel free to to go ahead and do so. I mean, I feel like we've already had I said I was going to mind my time here because I know when I go to look at a podcast, if it's over an hour, I won't press play. But um, yeah. <laughs> the one I'm just like kind of went through with a list of things people ask me on a very regular basis in my head. Um, so for anyone who is trying to learn more because you have a loved one that's in this world or you've just been diagnosed yourself, the I used to tell everyone about Under Our Skin. It's still a really great documentary because you're seeing it from the patient's perspective too. Um, so absolutely watch that, especially if you're trying to understand someone else's journey. Um, but the book chronic is really, really great. It's written in a very digestible way. I don't think you need 
uh, a certain medical degree to read it. Uh, the Horowitz books are also great, but they are written by a doctor almost for a doctor. So um, the book Chronic is definitely um, something I've been telling a lot of people about lately. So again, just find a doctor using eyelids if you can't, you know, come across any on your own and soak up as much information as you can, weed out what is not for you and just be patient. I think that's another big one, just be patient. Patience, yes. Thank you for sharing that. We'll definitely have to link up those uh, references yes. in the in the show notes. And um, one thing that I just wanted to kind of close with on, on a hopeful note too, when we talked about that Cinderella treatment, no matter if you are able to, if you're dealing with chronic illness, if you're able to have full remission, if you get primarily the way there and you get to a point where you can manage your symptoms, healing just means finding wholeness amongst the circumstances that you're in. So you know, you, you can, you can live a whole and happy life, no matter if your healing journey looks like full, you know, you don't have any symptoms anymore, or you deal with symptoms, everybody's healing journey looks different and it is a journey. It's not a destination. Mm -hmm. So, you know, finding wholeness amongst that and having hope because, you know, there is wholeness once you can find that Cinderella treatment. And for some of us, takes a long time. That's okay. But to your point, patience is so valuable. So Sarah, I thank you so much for sharing your journey and being on the podcast. And I just wish you all the best. Thank you. Hey, you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you like what you heard, remember to take a screenshot and share it on IG and tag me at Soma Sonder. Leave a like and a review. It helps the show grow tremendously and builds our community. As always, the DMs are open and I'd love to connect and have a deeper conversation with you. Until next time, go live boundless, babe.